On today's show, Gelada and I cover the ups and downs of Nintendo's many online services throughout the years and discuss their current plans and what we think they should do next. Hello and welcome to another episode of Optal FM. I'm Sefran. And I'm Gelada. And today we're going to be discussing Nintendo. Shock horror, I know. It's rarity for us. <laughs> um, but specifically we're going to talk about uh, Nintendo's online services, both their internet services, the history of all of their interconnectivity that they've had with uh, communities, and uh, basically just their lack thereof, so to speak, of uh, services. Yeah, and it's we thought that this was an interesting topic because, you know, people don't necessarily know about the history of how Ninten- Nintendo's kind of relationship with the internet, uh, especially from a Western point of view, where it feels mm. like they just do nothing. Um, but actually, when you when you dive into it and you and you look at the, some of the history going all the way back to the NES um, and the SNES, like they have had a relationship with the internet and connected services and stuff like that. Um, and so it's really interesting to take a look at that, take a retrospective and and sort of try and understand that um, and then maybe think about what that shows for Nintendo's future, like how they've, mm. you know, ha- how they deal with the internet and online services and stuff like that. Because when you dig into it, you realise that it's remarkably consistent, um, the way that they've used the internet with their consoles. I mean, it's quite Nintendo-like, actually. Like, they often try these new features and this new technology maybe before the time that it's kind of fully developed. And, like, you see that in a lot of their consoles as well. Like, the Virtual Boy, for example. Like, yeah, the idea was great. It just wasn't perfected yet. And then the same can be said for their online services and some of their previous consoles. Like, it's a great idea, but the technology just wasn't quite there to make it, like, really open and viable Mm. and easy to use uh and like you said this started all the way back with the the nes or more specifically to be honest the famicom yes but they they had a a net system for it a famicom net system now this was a separate console i believe like based on the famicom Mm. but it had access to what at the time in what was it 1986 1985 Mm. was the and mm. this allowed them to use sort of like what the internet was used for at the time. So things like uh, bulletin board services. Um, yeah. But specifically, like one of the things that you've put down on the notes, which I didn't realize actually, was the high use of horse race betting. <laughs> yes. Like it basically had a really, it, it basically wasn't a gaming thing. Like although it was, it, it shared a name with the NES, you know, it was the Famicom, which of course is a, is a portmanteau of family computer. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gives you an idea of where Nintendo in a way were kind of going with this in that it was really used for like work related stuff or like adult related things. Um, so, and yeah, actually it, one of its most popular uses was um, to do essentially online horse race betting. Uh, and at the time when you did have some, you know, PCs a little bit and stuff like that, and that was sort of kicking in and that was how people were getting online. Actually, the Famicom net system had 35% of the online horse race betting market, like all of the transactions and stuff. 35% of them were going through this weird thing that Nintendo had built. 
I'd love to see the the tech behind doing that because 1985 internet connectivity yep. was awkward at the best of time, but being able to manage it into a Famicom yep. and then making it so it was so family friendly enough that 35% of all Japanese households that wanted to use online horse race betting use this system. That's really <laughs> impressive. And I just yeah, think that kind of nuts. that's almost so counterintuitive to what you think of as Nintendo when it comes to their online capabilities. Like, yep. you think, it's usually pretty awkward, a little bit backwards, but that's quite impressive. Yeah, and it is just one example as we work through this history of the very sort of Japanese take on mm. services. And we've talked about this before, um, you know, about how it's very different. Everything is very sort of like bespoke systems for what, you know, for one use or for one thing. And this is a prime example of it. Like they, I expect that there was probably one horse race betting thing that works with the Famicom net system that you could use and stuff like that. Like it wasn't like you could like log on to five different websites or whatever. Yeah. It was like a, a bespoke thing for that. Um, and what's interesting as well about the Famicom Net system is that that was a, a modem-based system, kind of similar to la- much later stuff, um, you know, where you were essentially dialing a phone number and a computer mm. at the other end was speaking to your to your Famicom. But then the next sort of foray from Nintendo into the online world for the Super Nintendo was a thing called Satellaview. And again, this was Jap- this was Japan only. And this didn't actually use, like, a an internet connection. No, it, it was kind of weird. Like, it used radio and satellite broadcasting signals, which was sort of, quote-unquote, hijacking already existing services, right. where they would have timed broadcasts using these services. It was basically a partnership with a, with a Japanese company that had a set of satellites that covered Japan. And what they could do is that the... The Satellaview was essentially a special, a special sort of tuner that you would attach to your to your snares, and you would attach to your satellite dish that you maybe already had. And as you said, it was like timed events, um, and and games would be available at certain times, and they were broadcast essentially to any Satellaview that was listening um, at a particular time of day. And you had to like look it up. Like they gave you like a a, a book or a you know they published the details about when these different games were going to go out and your system would download it and then keep it on your cartridge until it got replaced by another game Mm. um, another day if you had your SNES on at a certain time and what I really like about this um, when I was reading about it is that it came with a cart that was kind of a game but not a game and it was like a virtual town where you had like characters and you gave your character a name and stuff like this. And there were buildings in this virtual town and each building would house a game. And that was how you like chose which game to download or like you, you, you know, you could see which games were available that your, that your Satellar view had downloaded. You would have these like buildings in this virtual town and you would like go into them to start the game up that you wanted to, to play. Which, when you think about this was in 1993, that's incredible. Yeah. Like, that is so ahead of (laughs) your time. That's essentially DLC and, like, online distribution of games. That's the kind of thing that you think of in, like, 2007 onwards, you know, not 1993. Um, And I think that they just did a wonderful implementation of the available technology. They realized that 
there was only so much they could do with sort of like the limited amount of bandwidth on traditional internet access. And I imagine this sort of broadcast system probably gave them more data to play with, essentially. And because obviously it was at timed events, they could make sure that everyone got it at the same time. So they weren't constantly having to like run a service which would cost more money. It was a really clever setup that, that did work. Like I believe there was quite a high uptake of this particular piece of hardware. Um, yep. I think it was quite expensive if you wanted to buy it outright, but I also believe that there was a, a rental service available where you could like hire mm-hmm. out for like a six month or a year time right. period, like the the hardware for it, both from the satellite point of view, but also for the, the cart itself for, yeah. for, your, for your Famicom, your Super Famicom. And I mean, the whole thing only ran for a couple of years anyway, because obviously these broadcasts were going out. And I think eventually Nintendo had a falling out with the company that did that managed the satellites. And so they were like, well, fine, we're not going to broadcast your games anymore. Yeah. Um, but then they also could use it to do things like um, they could run competitions and stuff like that as well and announce winners of competitions by posting like messages to this virtual town and you would go and read them on the on the billboard or whatever. Mm. It's just really sort of like... Like we were saying, like I think this is the really the best example of that sort of Nintendo have you know really taking a, a a very alternative approach to how they want online to work. You know, they want it to feel very Nintendo and very sort yeah. of like friendly and you know accessible, and they want to sort of mask mask some of the technology and make it sort of still seem kind of magic. Because um, I think Nintendo like things to feel like they're magic. That, and I think, again, we, we keep touching on it, but that almost, again, is the difference between sort of the Japanese market and the Western market. Right. Is they don't want the how it works and like the complex, complex technology behind it. They just sort of want a seamless, flowing experience. Yep. Very Apple-like. Um, yeah. You know, we, I think mm. we made that discussion when we were doing the notes for it. It's like that's like the idea of that kind of walled garden sort of effect. Definitely. Where they just, everything is kind of given to you and you don't have to worry about kind of setting anything up yourself. It's all ready. And that is very much the Nintendo approach to their online services. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then well, there's sort of like a period, I guess, where they, they, they kind of regressed a little bit. I don't really know what happened after Satellaview because... Like, the way I see it is that they couldn't quite make their mind up with what to do. It was sort of like this weird <laughs> interim period where, like, broadband services weren't quite a thing yet, like, almost anywhere. But yet, like, a traditional 56K kind of connections, which is what most people have had, just wasn't really good enough for what they wanted to do. They, they tried a few different things and one of the things they tried to do was to implement a new online service for their Nintendo 64 or more specifically part of the 64DD the disk drive system um, mm. which did it ever actually come out in the west I don't think it did did yeah. it I think it was pretty again this is another Japanese exclusive thing and it's exactly what it sounds like it was a, an add-on I mean, Nintendo loved add-ons back in the day like do you remember Classic. all the add-ons you could buy for like your, your Super Nintendo and the like the Sega Mega Drive and stuff yep. like that it, it was an add-on for the Nintendo 64, which allowed you to use CDs, like disk drives. Kind of, yeah, because the disk drive was sort of, it wasn't compact discs. It was sort of like a weird kind of like cartridge that had a disk in it. Um, so it was mm. still kind of proprietary. But yeah, you're sort of working towards that point. Yeah, they, they had, so the 64DD was an add-on for, for the Nintendo 64. And then for that, for the 64DD, they had another add-on, which was <laughs> which was the modem. Um, and it was called RandNet, which yes. is a, another portmanteau of something. I can't remember what, though. Um, and they definitely had lots of plans for this to be like games and like multiplayer and stuff like that. But because the 64DD was just a colossal failure, mm. um, I don't think it ever did anything beyond like... 
they had like a community forum that you could access and do a bit you could do a bit of internet browsing and you could like share stuff to do with maybe maybe they were thinking about being able to share stuff from mario painter or whatever it was um yeah <laughs> yeah the, the, the very few selection of games that were available on the 64 dd in the first place exactly um, <laughs> and again this was a perfect example of nintendo trying to do something pretty cool but not really having the resources or technology to be able to implement it properly right and I think this is also before the time they thought that well, people would just buy whatever we tell them to buy to get this service to work because this required so many add-ons. If you wanted to use this service, you know, you had to go and buy your Nintendo 64, which was quite famously a very expensive console. If yeah, you remember. yeah. Like, I remember the 64 being significantly more expensive than the PlayStation and the games were more expensive, you know, and then you had to buy the 64 DD, which, again... I'm not sure how much it was, but it wouldn't have been cheap. You know, we were looking plus the hundred plus pounds, I imagine, for that. You know, and then you're looking to buy a modem service, and then you have to have a modem, you know, like an internet connection to your house. Then you'd have to get the games for this particular Randnet games that we can play with it. Oh my word. Is Nintendo <laughs> sort of expecting too much from its customers at this point of view? And everyone was just like, no, thank you. We just want to play games. Yeah, exactly. All of this stuff was Japan. And I think at least they were remo- they were slightly sensible in that regard <laughs> because there was definitely no appetite for that number of purchases and add-ons and stuff like that no, in the West. No, definitely not. Um, and so the first thing that you had in the West was actually with the GameCube, right? Um, and that was just, they had a GameCube modem um, sold separately to the GameCube, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And was there only one game? For, there was the a West. few games that utilized it but the only game that you could actually play online was the fancy star <laughs> online game and i think there was also fancy star online 2 as well which right. was like a port slash like kind of redo of the dreamcast game yes and then because the dreamcast famously had online capability like that was sort of the first console that had traditional online capability Yes, And they wanted to implement that into the GameCube and the GameCube sort of had it a little bit easier because you didn't have to buy an additional thing to make this additional thing work. You just bought the modem, slapped it on the bottom of your your Mm. GameCube and off it you went sort of thing as long as you had a traditional internet connection. But it required broadband though. That was the, the thing. And although... It was still it was it was very much more of a thing at this point. Like I think GameCube was two thousand three, two thousand four, mm. is that right? And broadband services were certainly becoming more widespread, but they definitely weren't everywhere at this point, even still. And it required it, so that probably limited a lot of their game sales as well. And there was one thing we didn't touch on, a lot of these services required a like a traditional monthly subscription fee. Yeah. This is very like typical MMO days of the time. There was no free to play, so to speak, because running these sort of servers would have cost quite a considerable amount of money for these companies and that is how they would make their money is Mm-mm. charging you subscription fees nowadays obviously those kind of fees are much much lower for companies to do and a lot of them don't bother they just do free to play because they can make more money from microtransactions but that again wasn't a thing then so this again it was a great idea and it did work and it did come to the west and it, it had a, a quite a, a, a decent following but Again, it's just that barrier to entry was just that maybe a bit too high. It's maybe Nintendo trying to aim more for something that isn't quite there yet. But it's still cool to think that this was one of the first sort of console-based MMO games. And I remember Mm. back in the day, like, when this was sort of like MMO sort of hitting its peak, because I think World of Warcraft came out like a year or two after the GameCube was a thing. And that was very much when people wanted these MMOs, you know, kind of like the the mid-2000 MMO. And... If they'd just gone it a bit 
more right. I don't know. I can't, I can't think of a better way of describing it. I think it really could have taken <laughs> off and pushed them into uh, real online territory. But again, they just sort of fluffed it a bit. And I'm gonna, we're gonna have some like fancy star online like fans listening and went, "What you talking about? It was a wonderful game and it was absolutely fantastic, and it was pretty cool, uh, very Japanese RPG style." Um, I just feel Nintendo again and not influenced it quite how they probably could have done. Yeah, definitely. Um, and even like as you said, at this point, you're really you are starting to get things like broadband um, and stuff like that. Um, and and sort of the next thing that Nintendo did was the was the stuff for the Nintendo DS, right? Which they called Nintendo Wi-Fi Connection. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and they even had that kind of like weird Comic Sans logo too. Oh yeah. So so now you're that? sort of <laughs> yeah, and now you're sort of getting to that point where it's like you're starting to get something where it's a bit more of a platform rather than just like this game supports online on this Mm. console it's more like okay we are going to have a you know like a an actual uh online service yeah exactly exactly even that even then once they had this sort of you know they started to build up this platform and it was wi-fi based rather than modem based and and you know that kind of thing um because you now it's 2005 at this point when you've got the ds wi-fi connection so now you really do have, you're starting to get wi-fi you've got broadband in a lot of places and they still didn't really I don't know. It was like they kept that Nintendo magic up, didn't they? Of, yeah, you must do it our way, and our way is a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like it didn't really support all Wi-Fi networks. Like they were, they were like way behind. It kind of feels like maybe they were delayed launching, and they'd done a lot of technical mm. work, and then were sort of locked in to what they'd done. And then the problem was, was that at this point, with broadband really taking off, you know, the technology around networks home networks and stuff like that as people got more and more devices it was just really exploding and really moving fast i think that nintendo kind of got left behind a little bit there because they for the nintendo ds it only works with certain types of wi-fi and if you didn't have that they sold you a like usb dongle which would essentially set up a sort of bespoke ds only wi-fi and share its to your computer you know and then it would sort of use your computer's internet connection which is yeah i don't know it's like that's when you think about that time where you've got wi-fi and it's like this console that you buy needs like a special piece of hardware to connect to your network like it's just so unheard of now yeah they just like i think you probably got it right there actually in the sense that they probably locked themselves into a certain hardware type um mm. we know like so we know they had agreements with like the usb dongle manufacturer um they probably had to like lock in certain types of wi-fi as well because like obviously at this point there was quite a lot of variation still so it, it was a good idea and it did work and it was relatively simple to make work by comparison to some of their old services. And it was free, which is pretty cool. You know, the, their services didn't cost anything like how I think because Xbox Live charged from the get go, didn't they? Yeah. Um, whereas I think PSN took a while to kind of go had to pay to use it but nintendo was still very free at this point uh and it worked with quite a lot of the different games as well and you had like picto chat options as well and you could download um certain like themes i think for the for the ds like you could ch- you could change the way like your mm. your background looked and it was it was pretty cool especially for 2005 like it did work it was pretty laggy though i remember yeah, um, yeah <laughs> i remember trying to play mario kart online and it it sort of worked <laughs> yeah and after the ds you then start to move to perhaps what you consider 
really just kind of standard stuff like so the things for the Wii and stuff like that where it you know you had online general generally available online functionality um and they started to to have a online shop where you could buy things um and that's sort of kind of where we are today um with the late with the Nintendo Switch as well but you know now with the Wii it really started to show that going way back thinking way back to the Satellaview where you've got this sort of it's a very they're controlling the experience and like the whole functionality is through this like virtual town where you know it's sort of a little bit magic and and the games appear as buildings and stuff like that and that is still there today this is why nintendo is so like it's so much of a walled garden and they just want you to you know it's they want to control everything and so I think that's just what slows them down. You know, that's why they took ages before they started to have indie titles in their own store. And, yeah. you know, they were just, they weren't, it was like they didn't take input from the rest of the world. And they were like, no, no we're just marching to the beat of our own drum about how we want to do online and, and when we want to do it. And in a way that did work for them because with the Wii it sold so much to families and like children that they wanted to control that experience and families were perfectly happy for that to be the case because you didn't have that kind of quote-unquote core gamer market Mm. which wanted like the more traditional online services at this point being offered by xbox 360 and playstation 3 and at this point like online services like steam as well so it it didn't force nintendo to need to change their model of their ideas and as lovely as it was they were still behind in a way like it was just a bit backwards still yeah and It wasn't until basically the current generation, I would say, of consoles with the Switch 3DS and to some extent the Wii U, which they started basically go, right, we should probably do this how everyone else does does this now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, they've got like a very traditional online storefront now where the games are like way more expensive than they really necessarily need to be, just like every other service. Um, (laughs) They've got, you know, your ability to play online with people in lots of different games, both for online games but also for sort of like single player games which you can affect other people think things like uh, mario maker for example where you can down like levels and stuff like that mm. through their services but then at the same time they're sort of still playing catch-up too because it's still a free service without any perks whatsoever and they are going to be offering like a paid service with some perks but the perks themselves aren't that fantastic and then that basically puts us into the modern day and that then kind of makes us need to talk about what we've called the elephant in the room, mm. which is their very strange policies regarding their online interaction or rather their players' online interaction. Yeah. And this is where actually, you know, when we say that Nintendo are behind, and this is going to sound very fanboyish, but in some ways, as I said before, it's like it's not so much that they're behind they're not like playing catch-up this is an intentional decision like the fact Mm. that they are doing things so much it's not slower it's actually things that they just you know people are the best example is the way that you add people on a nintendo device like if you have a friend who has a switch or a 3ds or whatever and you want to add them you can't just search for them you can't enter their email address you can't you know upload your contacts or whatever it's a friend code it's pretty much always been a friend code and even now it's still kind of friend codes and there's a little bit 
of 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 not friend codes, but mostly it's like you need this magical code that yeah. represents your friend. And that had been the case for quite a long time, like going back as far as the Nintendo DS. Like right. people would go online into like forums and share friend codes through forums right. to be able to sort of like trade Pokemon, for example. Uh, you know, when things like the Pokemon Bank became a pro- uh, possibility. Yeah, and if you think like the Nintendo DS was two thousand and five, like that was when the the, the Nintendo Wi Fi connection stuff was around. That's 13 years ago yeah. at the time of recording. That's not Nintendo playing catch up. Like that's Nintendo making a, you know, intentional decision, decision that they yeah. are standing by, you know, for such a long period of time. It's the same with the player interactivity as well. Like there's really no way to communicate with people in Nintendo's online functionality. There's no way to mm. sort of there's barely any ever any chance to even send freeform text to other gamers um let alone voice chat or anything like that um, whether it's with your friends or not it's just not a thing and again it's like voice chat is something that the other consoles and the pc world has obviously had for a long time and they've sort of slowly in the case of the consoles they've implemented it over time and they've now most of them have you know a fairly robust voice chat system hmm. This again, this isn't Nintendo playing catch up. This is Nintendo making a conscious decision. And fundamentally, I think those things like friend codes, player interactivity, and also their parental controls, you know, which is actually not a thing where they're playing catch up. Again, this is about priorities. They're like, our priorities are really to focus on what Nintendo has always been about right when the online functionality was a cutesy virtual town and now the online functionality is you know parental controls and friend codes and stuff like Mm. that it's like that is their focus that's what they want that's what they want to be about and you kind of got to admire their they're almost like seemingly ignoring the march of you know how everyone else does it and they're just like nope this is how we do it this is how Nintendo does it and you can't argue in a way because they make a lot of money and it's always successful <laughs> like the only console in recent years which hasn't been particularly successful was the wii u and that's arguably because the technology that they wanted to do with it wasn't there hmm. it certainly wasn't because of their choice of policies for things like online controls right. and connectivity exactly um, so the market is obviously there for what they're offering and if you are a, I, I hate using the term like this a gamer <laughs> hmm. um then you're going to put up with it because you want to play their really great games. And if you're not one of those people who, you know, wants to play their games solely, and maybe you're a parent buying it for your child, or maybe you're you're a younger child, like 12 years sort of thing, you want that. You you know, you, you don't want to have to try and contend with the relatively complicated and often fairly toxic environment of other online services. Yeah. <laughs> so Nintendo basically just blanket say, well, you don't need to. Here, yeah. here is this wonderful service. You don't get necessarily the same features, but you get a lot of benefits as a result of that. And right. yeah, like you say, you, you can definitely applaud them for that. I think it's quite a bold decision, which has worked out for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a long time, they were playing catch up with online services, even though their visions were very futuristic and mm. f- far flung. But now they've the technology is there for them. Their consoles can do exactly what they want their consoles to do with ease, without any extra bolt-on add-ons or anything. You know, that you have to purchase outside of things. Like for example, the Switch you buy, it comes ready to go out of the box, no no argument sort of thing. It just works. Maybe the only thing that it doesn't have, I suppose, is maybe like a a, a hand, sorry, not a handset, like a headset capability. 
for the ability to do voice chat because it mm. is possible on some games as long as you have you can only talk with your other friends basically but they don't have like the ability to have a headset which you suppose is maybe short-sighted i don't know because they do offer the service but they don't have the ability to use the service without using third-party apps on not well, not third-party apps but like apps on your smartphone mm. which is maybe a little bit short-sighted mm their implementation is a bit obscure it's the same as like to be fair they're all a bit obscure like you can't bluetooth you can't do use bluetooth headphones with a playstation 4 and stuff like that no, like that's true yeah there's a lot of weirdness around that yeah it's just i don't know it doesn't seem like, that hard no it's weird in this day and age it's weird but yeah and i think fundamentally all of this stuff i think what all of these sort of policies and the way that nintendo goes about online just really shows their their roots and their and how strongly they are a very japanese company and the mm-hmm. and the japanese culture and the japanese way of, of of doing things really shows itself in the way that nintendo deals with stuff and i yeah. think that from a western perspective it it seems crazy but from their perspective and for from their sort of like you know they really know what they're doing and they're doing it on purpose to some extent um, it's they take the responsibility of their service right. rather than placing the responsibility of how you use that service on the customer exactly which exactly. is very much how microsoft and sony do their business yeah exactly you're you're right and that's it's the same reason why they've traditionally not had many indie titles and you know all of that kind of stuff it's like like mm, you say they in-house. take responsibility yeah exactly it's like it's very much we are responsible that's why we give you these parental controls you know we don't build a system and then just expect you to be responsible we're going to build something that you know because we feel res- nintendo feel responsible for, to give you something that is that they feel comfortable doing rather than just sort of like letting you get on with it which is great but maybe limiting in certain ways so i guess it it comes with the territory if you want a nintendo console and that wonderful experience that comes with it you sort of have to give up a few modern comforts that you come to expect from most gaming experiences now but overall like we can criticize maybe some of their choices but it obviously works Mm-hmm. And they're not going to change the way they do things anytime soon, because why would they? I don't know how they'd change it to appeal to everybody. I don't know if mm. you could, because we, we had a short discussion about this as well. Like the one example that I was using was with Splatoon 2, which is sort of their primary online multiplayer experience currently. Because yep. until they hit like a Smash Bros game for, for Wii U, sorry, for, for Switch, sorry, then I think that's going to be the only real multiplayer t- uh, title currently. Yeah, And it's hard to sort of implement both sides of things both the controlled parental guidance you know non-toxic environment but also with the need for communication in an online game it's very hard to do both uh, we can come up with a system that worked very well and we're just two guys and you know? so if we can't come up with it and nintendo can't come up with it, it must be bloody difficult <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do wonder like I don't, I don't really know what nintendo will do in the future you know i think that whilst they maintain this policy and their sort of their stance on their responsibility to to look after the people that buy their products i think that there will always this will always be the case it's you know nintendo will never catch up in inverted commas because they purposefully limit themselves by mm. you know giving themselves a set of rules that they need to abide by when they build these these systems and services and that i think that's always going to be like you say it's always going to be a little frustrating as a gamer but it's something that you at the same time i just i I've grown as I've grown older as a gamer. I've grown to admire it more and resent it less. I mm. think 
you know, you really just sort of take it as it is what it is because that's what Nintendo wants to be. And actually, maybe maybe it's nice that not every single company that makes video games doesn't care about, you know, having a walled garden. Like, maybe it's, it's, it's nice to have that variety a little bit. I was going to say, maybe we've become, I don't want to say tolerant of Nintendo, but maybe more like happy to use that sort of system because we already have quite a different services available to us if we choose to true like if you want the more traditional kind of online gaming experience you've got so many other options but if you want that kind of seamless easy non-toxic environment to just play some online games nintendo is also there to cater for that Mm -hmm. whereas if you go back maybe 10 15 years like that was sort of more of a case of like the console war idea where like you sort of dedicated yourself to one service where I feel more (laughs) and more people now are just like, well, I play my Nintendo for this and I play my PlayStation for that and my PC for this. Yeah. Uh, So I I think you don't need all the services you want in one place now. I think it's okay for that to be spread out. Mm. So Mm. maybe that's why, again, like that sort of way that they operate is less jarring to us now Mm. than it would have been if we'd have gone back, say, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Agreed. But yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. I think uh, uh, hopefully this, this has been interesting to you, uh, listener. You know, I think that the history of Nintendo's online stuff is a little bit unknown. You know, people really only think about the recent mm. stuff. And so it is really interesting to look at that in a level of innovation very, very early on. They've got that future vision, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's it'll be interesting to see what they do next and what things they come up with. Nintendo are definitely the innovators and... Right now, they've sort of their vision matches the technology. You know, like you said earlier, the Wii U was sort of a little bit too early, and the Switch is what the Wii U should have been. Um, and so we're in a good spot for Nintendo right now, where what they want to do is achievable. What are they? What are they going to do next? That is going to be. They tend to oscillate between achievable and unachievable. Yeah, they do. So, so what is the unachievable thing that Nintendo are going to do next? And where does online fit into that? That is the question. Um, and maybe yeah. you. Maybe you, the listener, uh, you have some some thoughts about that, about what you think Nintendo is going to do next. Um, and if so, we would we would love to hear it. Yeah, definitely. You know, we've sort of given some of our thoughts about how they do stuff, um, but we haven't really necessarily given any predictions, mainly because I'm terrible at predictions. Um, <laughs> never like to predict anything. We could just record all of the predictions and then... Like release somehow, whichever one works at the time yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> just like retrospectively change the episode without anyone noticing um, rewrite our own so, history Absolutely. exactly um but yeah but yeah definitely get in touch if you if you've got some thoughts you can email us and show at octal.fm on the emails and we're at octal fm on the twitters and we are just facebook.com forward slash octal.fm on mm. the Facebooks. And we're octal.fm on Instagram, although that's more like just follow us rather than try and ask yeah. us a question or talk you to us. You could try and send us a picture <laughs> about Nintendo. I don't know. That'd be, that'd be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. Send us a photo of your, of your GameCube modem if you've got one still. <laughs> Man, I bet that's worth some money. <laughs> I bet, it it I bet they're the rare. Uh, probably wouldn't, no. But no. still, you, you might be able to like... <laughs> hack it to do something i don't know (laughs) but i do hope you've enjoyed our sort of retrospective and then analysis of nintendo's online services it's been fun it's been fun to reminisce about their old services and to kind of chat about what they what they will do in future uh and i think we've been fairly fairly fair as well i think we've kind of covered 
both sides of the arguments as well. So, uh, yeah, I think we'll definitely do these sort of discussions in the future again as well. Um, mm. Like services that companies provide, not just yeah. Nintendo, because I realise that we do focus on them more than other <laughs> All services. All the time. <laughs> like, I mean, we could maybe do a similar sort of discussion about Steam. That's yeah, I was one. just thinking that actually Steam would be a great one. Because uh, we, we've definitely been a part of it for a long, long time. So we've got like a lot of, a lot of experience to discuss. So yeah, look out for that maybe in the future. But uh, yeah, with that definitely. said, I've been Seferin. And I have been Gelada. And catch us again for another episode of Cliff M very soon. Boop, boop.